So two years ago, I was planning a trip to India when uh, a message landed in my inbox from a formal tra former travel buddy of mine named Jesse. It read something along the lines of, you're arriving in India just in time for the largest human gathering on earth. It's called the Mahakumbha Mela. It's a Hindu religious pilgrimage that takes place once every 12 years, and we are going. Coming from Alaska, the land of vast landscapes and few people, I tend to feel like my space has been invaded when someone in yoga class tries to lay their mat anywhere within three feet of mine. <laughs> so needless to say, crowds are a bit out of my comfort zone, but this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. A few weeks later, I found myself cresting a hill in India to get my first view of the grounds of the Kumbh Mela Festival. The sea of humanity that spread out in front of me was almost incomprehensible. All I could think was like, it was like one of those pages from a Where's Waldo book with all those thousands of tiny little characters, cartoon characters in there, except what I was seeing was about 300 times more dense with people. And replace all those tiny little cartoon characters with uh, pilgrims, millions of pilgrims with giant bundles of supplies balanced on their head, and women dressed in colorful and vibrant saris, and thousands of holy men everywhere, and toss in a couple hundred elephants. <laughs> it would be impossible to find Waldo in this scene, and in our case, even harder to find a place to sleep. The mythology behind the pilgrimage is basically that during this epic battle between the demigods and the demons, where they were fighting over control of a pitcher full of the nectar of immortality, they spilled a few drops to earth. Every dozen years, when the planets align just right, the waters where these drops landed become transformed into flowing rivers of this nectar of immortality. And bathing in the rivers during this uh, auspicious time uh, is said to provide the opportunity to provide a shortcut to moksha, which is basically the Hindu version of nirvana. Now, I'm not a particularly religious person, but the chance to wash away a lifetime's worth of sins and to, attain, to, and to gain spiritual enlightenment, how could I pass that up? <laughs> uh, the festival accommodates about 120 million worshipers over the course of 55 days, and this all takes place in an enormous, temporary, mega pop-up tent city. It's at the confluence of the Yamuna River, where it meets the Ganges River, and it's across 10 square miles of this giant barren floodplain. So ashrams and other groups, they set up these camps to house the worshipers uh, when they come for the bathing, bathing days. But it's not like the type of accommodation that you can go online and book ahead of time through Travelocity. Which would have been really nice, because we happened to be arriving on the most auspicious of all of the bathing days, along with 30 million other people. We decided our best option was to just show up, go with the flow, and do as the pilgrims were doing. As we descended into the heart of the Kumbha Mela grounds, the first thing I noticed were the cows. As you probably know, cows are considered sacred in India, and hundreds of them just roamed around freely in every direction, with their giant pointy horns, eating trash, and defecating everywhere. We wandered around the fairgrounds miles and miles, and the, any semblance of streets had just disappeared. Uh, pilgrims had lined themselves up shoulder to shoulder to shoulder like little sardines laying on any flat surface to get some sleep. 
we started wandering around and asking camps if they had any place that we could sleep. And we encountered just enough English for camp after camp after camp to tell us that there was no space for us. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I love camping, but my version is normally a little more lavish. A few of them recommended that we should check out the Hare Krishna camp. They'll take anyone, they said. <laughs> so somehow through the maze of colors and smells, we found the Hare Krishna camp only to be uh, greeted with the discouraging news that, yeah, right, we don't have room for you. It's nearly the biggest day of the largest human gathering in the world. What were we going to do? Any flat horizontal surface was at a premium, and even if we could find a way to fold ourselves into these packing packages of little sardines sleeping peacefully on the ground, I had this problem. I had uh, quickly developed a very irrational fear that death by cow hoof was inevitable if I was going to have to sleep out in the open. And did I mention that I had only been in India for less than 48 hours at this point with little to no sleep? My fatigue, in heightened, my fatigue heightened distress was, um, <laughs> was counteracted by this behemoth figure that befriended us while we were assessing our situation. He introduced himself as Swamiji. Swamiji was well over six feet tall with the most impressive head of dreadlocks that I have ever seen. And he was completely bare except for a saffron-colored wrap tied around his waist. As I gazed up at him, he must have sensed my extreme fear of the holy cows because he miraculously offered that although all of the tents in his camp were full, we were welcome to rest on the floor of his own temporary thatched hut. Oh my goodness, Swami G saved us. With that dilemma behind us, we were able to attend to the task of at least attempting to understand some of this alternative reality that surrounded us. One of the most fascinating parts to me were the Naga sadhus. If you were wondering, Naga means naked, and there were a lot of them. The most devout of these Nagasadus lived in caves, in solitary caves in the Himalayas, and they came down for this festival to cover them, their naked bodies from head to toe with ash. And they displayed some of the most intense and grotesque acts of physical devotion I have ever seen. One of the sadhus I met had been holding his arm up in the air for so many years as an act of mind over body that his shoulder and his elbow had fused into a vertical position and his hand had curled into an emaciated nest of black and blue fingernails. In contrast to these religious devout sadhus, I also witnessed the reach of globalization. Little Indian children ran around wearing t-shirts with sayings such as, I Facebooked your girlfriend. <laughs> and to my delight, I came across a teenage Indian boy selling tambourines out of the back of a cart who was unknowingly wearing a symbol of my homeland, an Alaska-grown sweatshirt. <laughs> as the main bathing day came, I found myself standing at the water's edge wondering if I could, would, or should take the holy dip. I guess I never wondered if this would be an if question. I had made the pilgrimage, right? Well, this is where the Western scientist inside of me could not rest peacefully. In my professional life, I work in the field of hydrology and water resources. I could not stop thinking about the millions of people bathing in the river that day, the billions of people upriver, all of the cows, of course, and where they were going to the bathroom. 
there wasn't a porta potty or an outhouse in sight. Could I accept the ironic risk that the nectar of immortality could potentially kill me? <laughs> Ultimately, I convinced myself that bathing my bean in proportion to what I perceived to be my sins would be the most appropriate. And at that moment, I dipped my toe into the nectar of immortality. Thank <laughs> you.